0: Hello folks! Welcome back to the OFL Podcast, aka the Outfounding Liars Podcast, more commonly known as the most important podcast on the internet. It's me as always, the host. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? Hope you're doing good, because I'm doing good. Uh, Let me tell you something, I don't know if you noticed this, but I tried to get this uh, uploaded on Monday mornings today. did not work out in that way. It's not a perfect system. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I recorded something yesterday. Re listen, sound quality was awful, so I'm redoing it again. I literally fixed it with a switch and a knob on my mic. You live and you learn. We're doing it now, okay? I am recording on a Monday morning, though, as opposed to uploading on a Monday morning. So, either way, some action on a Monday morning is being uh, taken. Now, let me ask you something. How do you like listening to your podcast? Just an honest question. This show's all about questions. There's more to come. Uh, do you like you like iTunes? Do you like the podcast app? Because I'm on that. Like SoundCloud? Because I'm on that. Heck, I'm even on YouTube. But you know what? I got two new things to tell you. I'm on two new platforms. That's right. Every week, it seems like I'm on at least one new thing. So by the 20th episode, maybe I'll be on like HBO. Uh, I'm here to tell you... Our Founding Liars, the podcast, can be found on Spotify and Google Play. Yes, both of these things have submitted to the OFL art form. I don't know how it happened either. I am skeptical. I think it might be a setup. But uh, for the meantime, we're just going to roll with it. However you want to listen to, I give you permission. Okay, Now, that out of the way on with the show. So I don't really think I'm out of line by saying that we live in the height of exposure culture, not to be confused with outrage culture, although one can make the argument that we live in both of these worlds simultaneously. Now, what are these worlds as I define them, as I perceive them? Exposure culture deals with uh, individuals, maybe corporations, any topic really, and having some kind of information that was not previously known about said subject... Uh, revealed to the public. Now, usually the public themselves are the ones digging it up. It's kind of like a fun game in a way for them. And uh, there's ramifications, negative connotations, however one would expect that. Because if you're trying to hide something, it's probably because you know it's going to be received negatively. Now, on the opposite end of that is outrage culture, which has the exact same ramifications, the exact same consequences for people. However, instead of being guided by information, it seems to be guided by blind emotion. And it's in the name. Rage. Outrage. You understand? You want examples? I could probably think of an example. Uh, my own channel. Look at my own channel. YouTube.com slash Liars. I seem to be on the receiving end of uh, outrage culture. It's ironic because Our Founding Liars is a participant in exposure culture in a way. However, people are outraged by it. Uh, there, there seems to be a chain reaction of sorts. But uh, you can look at my video about a guy named Matt Peck. He's a little lying YouTube creep. However, I underestimated his audience. His audience is pretty uh, huge. and he, But the, uh, the, the physical stature of the audience is not huge. They're about nine to twelve, and I completely lost that demographic. It's uh, they are no longer investing in OFL stocks. I, I gotta, I just gotta pray that my own age sticks with me because there is no hope for this generation. Uh, when I'm an old man, there's gonna be so many teenagers that hate me, and they don't even know why. But it's because they subconsciously registered my voice by seeing that episode when they're young. So my life is ruined, you know, thanks to outrage culture. That's what it is. You know, if they just looked at the comments and they looked at other videos, they would see that I am not a threat. I'm like an ally in a way, but whatever. Now, what makes uh, exposure culture different than outrage culture is that there's an implication of some kind of justice being served. These people deserved it, as indicated by the evidence that is being exposed about them. The witch hunt is not a witch hunt. It is a, a just trial by the people. Now... Some examples of this, Kevin Spacey, that's a guy I used to like, but I can't really back up the crazy things that he's accused of. Harvey Weinstein, that's a guy, as you see, a lot of these guys are actually involved, uh, and they're the antithesis of the Me Too movement. You can look up what that is yourself. We got Louis C.K., who is the only one of these guys who actually exposed himself. If you know what I mean, (laughs) that's just a cheap joke. I got an opinion on that man that might shock you. That's why you should watch my videos. Google OFL Louie. Now, a lot of documentaries are being made about these guys. You know, a lot of things are being said. It's kind of a uh, kind of a good way to make a little buck. Now, one of these documentaries has a lot of people talking. It's uh, it's surviving R. Kelly. You guys know who R. Kelly is. He's the Pied Piper of Love. The king of R&B. Um, you know what, Pied Piper Love is kind of a creepy name that, uh, now that I think about it, I don't know why it didn't hit me till just this second, but, uh, I guess he's not really on my radar too much, so you must forgive me, okay? Now, I did watch the doc, I'll tell you my opinion on it in a second, however, uh, I just want to open up to you, the audience, really quickly, I have my own personal story to tell about Mr. Kelly, um, it's kind of embarrassing, it's kind of hard for me to open up about this. Uh, I was kind of scared for a while, but I feel safe now. I feel like i, I feel like this is a good opportunity to get personal with you. So, uh, if you don't mind, this is uh, this is my encounter with R. Kelly. Uh, when I was in high school, I was forced to dance for forty-five days straight to the to the song step in the name of love. Now, this was for high school gym class and they told me I couldn't graduate if I didn't do it. So this was not consensual by any means. Uh, It was humiliating. People laughed at me. I still have PTSD from it. And I ended up getting a C because I didn't participate half the time due to my uh, pride. You know? So I'll never forgive R. Kelly for that. I, uh... To this day, it's kind of hard to talk about, you know, so I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, however, uh, what actually happened in that doc was even more disgusting, if you ask me. Where do I begin with that? It was disturbing. What was even more disturbing is that it got me to watch a Lifetime for six hours straight. Something I never thought would happen, but it did. Long story short, don't want to trivialize any of the victims or anything. R. Kelly, uh, from what I could tell, is a pretty bad dude. He's not good. Yeah, I don't like him, you know? Uh, if... What they say is true. He deserves, you know worse than what he's getting I suppose in a way I don't know but let me tell you something uh, I liked the doc uh, specifically because I had a lack of information on the case itself because like I said before it wasn't really on my radar but I also thought the doc was one of the worst things I ever saw in my life why? It kind of missed a lot of key points kind of missed the real issue at hand about R. Kelly that even I know I don't know if it like failed to do it because it didn't know or if it was a distraction from the real issue the real issue being the intergalactic war I am a course talking about reptilian kelly remember last week what we talked about r stands for reptilian there are no exceptions in this case you understand it's the reptilian war flag that they're waving around they're putting the r everywhere they can see if you go on reddit r slash whoosh it's a whole strange communication device that's used to take down and discredit uh truth platforms like me reptilian kelly it's in the name Uh, The doc itself said that he was hiding in plain sight and this is just a new level, you know. Uh, He's been accused of having like a sex cult or something like that. I have reason to believe that sex cult, that mansion is actually a reptilian breeding ground. And perhaps if we investigated further, we'd find the test tubes that they are, uh, you know, cryogenically frozen in, uh, in the basement or something like that. But you know what? That's, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I don't even want to talk about that right now. So what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about a documentary that's coming out within a month. Uh, I believe that this documentary is riding on the curtails of surviving R. Kelly. I think there will be many more documentaries in this style. Uh, perhaps they're trying to grab a quick buck. Perhaps they're the most important documentaries that the investigatory community will ever see. Who's to say? Nobody can say until they come out. Okay, now what is this doc about? It's about the king of pop. Just those three words, you already know who it is, right? Michael Jackson. Yeah, that's right. Now, disclaimer, before I go into any more detail, I want to say I'm not a total Michael Jackson hater, uh, and I'm not like a mega fan either, which makes me the perfect candidate, you know, to talk about it. Uh, I I don't really know if I ever listened to a Michael Jackson album from beginning to end, But however, I do like a lot of uh, kind of obscure songs from him. So I might be a bigger fan than I realized. Uh, I like, uh, jeez, what do I like? Strangers in Moscow is an awesome song because it's about being stalked by the KGB, living under the Kremlin shadows. It's very OFL friendly. You see all the Russian troll bots in my comments every day trying to discourage me. So it's a very OFL friendly song. I like Leave Me Alone due to the upbeat irritability. That's that's a very host-like thing. And, of course, my favorite song is Dirty Diana because I knew this chick named Diana who never showered. Therefore, we called her Dirty Diana. (laughs) Now, uh, here's the thing. little history with me and Michael Jackson. Uh, I remember hearing some rumors about him when I was younger. uh, Rumors that were kind of bad. And, you know, nobody wants to hear these things. However, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but at the time, I did not think the man... Did these things people uh, claim that he did. You understand. Uh, I don't know if it was just lack of Internet or lack of evidence. But I really I just thought, you know, he had childlike wonder. He was a little eccentric. I thought he was like an easy target. However, evidence has come to my attention as of late, especially lately, that the man probably did these deeds. And we all know what I'm talking about. These deeds being that he did the music for uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 for the Sega Genesis, okay? More specifically, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles, if we're going to go with the full title. I know, I can't believe it either, but uh, it happened, and we're going to have to talk about it because I think there's bigger issues involving that as well. Uh, I don't think this documentary is going to even scratch the surface of this. That's why I have to talk to you. Uh, about this specific subject in this podcast because nobody else is going to get into depth about this and why it's important okay but it is true this is one of those rare episodes where you can google the facts I'm not the one breaking ground here uh usually I'm the one breaking ground so there's no source material to google but this time I'm kind of branching off of you know established events uh now what's going on first of all why do I even know this (laughs) like what's wrong with me uh that's a good it's a fairly good question I suppose uh, maybe I'm a little worried about my mental health in the last you know three weeks maybe I've been kind of diving into Sonic the Hedgehog fandom stuff because he used to be my favorite uh, video game character and there's been a couple of video games that came out that kind of sparked my interest I got nostalgia you know. Uh, I went to see what was going on in the comic book world of him. And that was a regret of mine. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever. I don't have to justify anything. I just like Sonic. And I started learning about the Michael Jackson connection. And in OFL fashion, dots were connected. And I found out some horrible things. Okay? So, with that being said, let's uh, let's get on with it. Uh, do I have proof? Why was Sega distancing themselves? Why, is there a bigger picture? Were there consequences? Answers... Yes to all of them. <laughs> okay, so uh, listen. So the story goes like this. Uh, Michael Jackson, in like 92 or 93, I don't know, uh, was accepting some kind of award in Japan, right? And across the street, he sees the Sega Corporation. Now he already has ties to Sega because he had a uh, licensed video game uh, on the Moonwalker movie, right? So in his head, that gives him the right uh, to storm into the headquarters of Sega, right after his award ceremony, and uh, demand that he make music for the Sega Corporation, okay? In my mind, he was probably really violent. He was probably scary. You know, what are you going to do, say no to Michael Jackson? He just stormed in, and he was all like, uh, Hello, Sega. You're going to make my game, because I'm Michael Jackson. I'm God. You're going to kiss my feet, my red feet that Sonic based his own shoes on. That's a fact. Google it. Except Google wasn't a thing. I'm Michael Jackson. I'm the supreme overlord of Sega. You will see. Anyway, it probably didn't happen like that. He was probably like, I think we should make a game. Can we make a game? You and me, please? I think it'll be fun. I had some ideas. Maybe my boys can talk to your boys we can get some compositions. And, uh, yeah, that's like a really Michael Jackson-like thing to do. Just walk into a children's video game corporation and, like, you know, decide really important decisions. Uh, Man, it must be nice to be a billionaire. Oh, side note, side note. Uh, The original music guy that did Sonic 1 and 2... Uh, He is no longer in the picture. He quit right before Michael Jackson came into the picture. I find that incredibly suspicious. Okay, just a detail. I don't know if the man is still alive. Maybe he was murdered. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe he was blackmailed to leave uh, Sega by the Michael team. Maybe this was planned years before. Maybe it wasn't an impulsive thing. I don't know. Just a side note. Keep that in the back of your head. All right. But so that happened. Sonic team agreed because they were scared for their lives, I assume. And they, uh, you know, they started working on this passion project, which was Sonic 3. And they started making music together. Uh, Michael Jackson had his team. Everybody in the credits of uh, Sonic 3, Uh, involved people that Michael Jackson met personally. However, uh, Michael Jackson himself was not credited. Why? What's going on? We'll get to that in a second. First of all, I started... If you think this is a wild assumption, it's not, because Sega themselves admitted that this event happened, but I don't think they actually addressed it till like, 2003, okay? So there was, like, a freaking... At least a 10-year cover-up, if not more. Uh, I find that insane. And people... On the internet, had to find out themselves, like later, you know, uh, because they were piecing together the puzzles. They found out that there's music by Michael Jackson that sounds suspiciously similar to Sonic the Hedgehog music. And you know, I did a little bit of digging, and I found some examples. You can see this. Uh, in fact, one of the songs I mentioned that I liked earlier, "Strangers in Moscow." Uh, you know what? Maybe there's a deeper reason why I like "Strangers in Moscow." Maybe it's because it was programmed into me. Uh, look. Look at this, this is the Sonic 3 credit theme. And now this is Strangers in Moscow. Now this is them together. It's right? pretty crazy uh, then there's more there's more this is the uh, you know the knuckles theme This is a Jackson song Seven. Now this is them together. And now here's an interesting one to me. Here is the song, uh, Jam. Now here is the Carnival Night Zone theme from Sonic 3. Now what's interesting about this one, this sound is actually a compressed version of Heavy D's uh, words in this sound. So he is able to compress words and put them into the music. Meaning there's probably lots of subliminal negative 66 decibel things that I could have possibly been brainwashed with. I am very lucky because I only played Sonic 1 and 2 as a kid. I did not get to play Sonic 3 until I was like in middle school. You know, I just, it just panned out that way. Now there's a whole lot more evidence, you know, regarding composition similarity. There's a video by a guy named D-Pad or that's the channel's name. Did a very good job. I, I encourage you to look at that. Tell him OFL sent you or something. But now that you see that there is an actual case that his music was in the Sonic game, why did they distant themselves? Well, uh, Michael himself said that he was not uh, satisfied with the hardware. You understand? Uh, I guess the music capabilities of the Sega Genesis was not up to his, you know, music making standards. And I guess that makes sense because it's a little different than like, uh, I don't know, whatever program he used to make Billy Jean or something. But at the same time, supposedly, Michael was in some kind of trouble. I don't really know what that trouble was because it was it's kind of obscure, you know, but Sega didn't want to, you know, deal with it. So they were distancing themselves from him. At least that's how the story goes, okay? I don't know. Sounds like they might have been overreacting. I don't know what the guy could have done. You know, I don't know anything about controversies surrounding Michael Jackson. So here's the thing, they were both drifting apart as I illustrated, but is there another underlying issue on why their relationship ended, why their business partnership uh, is no more? I think I already kind of alluded to it in the brainwashing type uh, talk earlier with the, uh, the jam song. Uh, we all know that Michael Jackson has some kind of strange speed fetish, okay? He wrote a song called Speed Demon, which he, uh, I believe the story is that he wrote it after he got a speeding ticket. Pretty good song. I'm not really dissing the art form or anything, but what I am saying is the guy has a strange speed fetish, okay? So it's no wonder that he wanted to work with a video game franchise that's dedicated to, um, you know, the, the, supposedly the fastest hedgehog alive, okay? So... If uh, the song Speed Demon has any indication, Michael might have also been into, like, occult kind of things. So this was a way for him to sneak in lyrics that are actually spells to unearth the literal Speed Demon. Perhaps his title, Speed Demon, is actually referencing something that is a physical, tangible, uh, occult kind of thing. I don't know. Who's to say? That would explain why he was so uh, upset about the hardware capability of the Sega. Uh, the actual enunciation of the spells were uh, he had to compress them to fit them into the sound chip so they weren't working properly. Here's my other theory, and this might answer a lot of things, so bear with me here, okay? Uh, if you know anything about Sonic the Hedgehog, you know that he might have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the phrase? He had a fall from grace. Okay. Uh, A lot of people look at his old games, belovedly, a lot of things in the middle, not so much. Uh, A lot of games were rushed, a lot of glitchy games. Now, why is this? I think I have a theory stick- With me is Michael Jackson involved a little bit. So if you know anything about Sonic the Hedgehog, you probably already know that the main villain, the antagonist of the entire franchise, is a man named Dr. Robotnik. Actually, his name is Dr. Eggman. Uh, Robotnik is the American version, although we submitted to the Japanese name uh, for that was what the name was intended to be, okay? Uh, Here's the thing, Eggman was actually modeled after Teddy Roosevelt. It's true. Look at the design. Look at the Japanese artwork. It's clearly Teddy. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first concept art was a literal caricature of Teddy Roosevelt smiling in pajamas. Pretty weird, pretty crazy, but that's how it came to be. Now, uh, back to the whole outrage culture thing. Americans don't really like getting made fun of, okay? They don't really like getting uh, portrayed as a, you know evil, mad scientist that changes cute little animals into robots, you know? It's not good. Not good for business. So, uh, the thing that America did was that we redid the artwork to make it look not like Teddy. We elongated the faces. We puffed the cheeks out. We did everything we could to distance ourselves from mocking our beloved president. However, uh, I think we were a little bit jealous that Sonic uh, was... Gaining all this popularity at America's expense, okay? So we sent a spy into the Sega headquarters. The spy was actually a man named Michael Jackson, okay? Michael Jackson was sent to uh, install glitch coding into all their uh, software... Uh, so in a slow process, will bring down all the Sonic Team games. It's true. It sounds unbelievable, but it's absolutely true. If I am correct, if I'm not correct, then it's not true, obviously. But here's the other thing. I think at the same time, uh, Michael may-, may not have wanted to do it. So somebody on his team, you know, his keyboardist might have been the one paid to do it because it seems to me that like, Michael actually wanted to make the game. He seemed to actually have a genuine passion, from what I understand. So... That leads me to my other theory. What's the other theory? The other theory is that Michael Jackson was murdered, not by Sega, but by the American government for participating with Sega, okay? Lots of conspiracy theories are popping up on my YouTube algorithms because I'm looking up this stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that the man was murdered by his doctor, but I think, uh, you know, this is just kind of a revenge thing, maybe a delayed revenge thing because the guy died in 2009. This game came out in 94, but America never forgets. Isn't that like a slogan we have for something we don't forget? So, yeah, this was just an example for the price to pay for mocking a uh, president that none of us were really alive for. Well, most of us. (laughs) Also, America is still going heavy in the attack on Sonic. Uh, You can Google the uh, Sonic movie poster. We are going a little too hard, okay? This is the second time in American history where I I think we are making the wrong decision and we are going way too hard on this country in retaliation for something, okay? Not good. Hashtag not good at all. In conclusion, I can't pretend like I don't like Sonic the Hedgehog. It's my boy. He may have made a couple bad games, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, yeah, whatever. Team Sonic, okay? Here's what won me with Sonic the Hedgehog. I already made a video about this. I encourage you to watch it. The cartoon, the Saturday morning cartoon, or is it Sunday morning? I don't know. It predicted ISIS, okay? It predicted Charlie Hebdo attacking. Look at that video, okay? That's all I have to say on the matter. No Sonic bashing on this channel just for that alone. And and, uh, I guess that includes today's episode of OFL. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a little bit. Uh, probably not the direction you thought this was going to go. Uh, and if that's the case, I did my job. Because your task is to think of questions that were not asked before. Okay? You're asking questions that people already asked. Why even ask them? You understand? So, uh, if you want to support me, I got a PayPal. I got a Patreon. I got things. I got, you know, just, just watch my videos. A lot of things you can do. Okay? So, thank you. Keep... Asking questions.